Well, good morning. I am grateful to be here, to have the opportunity to speak again this week. And uh, it's a big day in Chattanooga. We have the Ironman happening. Maybe you passed some racers on your way here. Um, I told first service I was going to make a joke that if I wasn't speaking, I would have participated in the Ironman today. And yeah, they laughed. They laughed too. I was going to explain that the reason that I wasn't going to make that joke is because maybe you didn't know me well enough to know that that's funny, but apparently you can laugh even if you don't know me, so that's fun, Um, but it's accurate, very accurate. You know those bumper stickers that racers have on the back of their cars, like 26.2 and all the miles and all the races and all the stuff? Um, I only had one sticker on my car at one point, and it said 0.0, and that is how many miles I could bike or swim or run without needing some medical attention. So um, I'm really glad to be here with you guys sitting down in air condition um, and getting to spend this time indoors while those awesome people are doing whatever leg of the race they're in, whatever hour they're in today. Um, But I'm grateful for the opportunity. We're going to just kind of dive right into where we picked up last week. We started a series called Getting to the Root last week, and we looked at what Christianity teaches us about the very first picture of humanity through Adam and Eve. And uh, we looked at the part in the story where Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, and they're hiding from God. And so we looked last week at the very first question that God asked Adam and Eve, that question, who, uh, where are you? And we looked at this question and we acknowledged that he wasn't asking where are you because he didn't know they weren't lost. Uh, he was asking to help them get to the root of their hiding. And so we can read in Genesis 3, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And we see in the very next verse, Adam's response. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So Adam's response to God's where are you question addressed the root of his hiding. He was afraid and ashamed, and that's what he told God. That's why he said he was hiding. And we talked last week about how God's questions, they aren't for his benefit, So often, they're for ours, and they're to help us get to the root of some things that might be hiding in our hearts, and then ultimately to help point us back to who he is. And so Adam told God that he was hiding because he was afraid and he was ashamed, but God didn't just leave him in hiding after he answered that question. He didn't just move on because there was more to address in Adam's heart. And so the second question is the one we're going to look at today, this question, who told you that? We can see in Genesis 3.11, he asks, who told you that you were naked? Now, there was purpose and order in these very first two questions, because the first question, where are you, was to get to the root of the hiding. But this question, the second question, who told you that? This was to get to the root of who they were choosing to listen to. And so God asks in this passage, who told you? Who told you that you should be afraid? Who told you you should hide? Who told you that you should be ashamed? God was gonna help them get to the root of where all this started by tracing where the lie had been planted in their hearts by pointing to who had told them that. And I believe that this is one of the most powerful questions in all of scripture, um, we can see in response to this, Adam is really quick uh, to point to Eve. 
But then very quickly, Eve points back to the snake in the garden. And before I read this next verse, I do just want to acknowledge that this passage introduces a talking snake. And I don't know, I don't think it matters if you're hearing it for the first time or the hundred and first time. It's hard to wrap our minds around this talking snake. I'm not even going to try to unpack that part of this story. All I know is that evil is introduced in the book of Genesis, and it's introduced in the form of a snake. And so we're going to read how Eve responds to God's question. This is what she says in verse 13. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we can see right out of the gate that God's question It was helping them identify who they had chosen to listen to because this was impacting how they saw themselves and how they saw God. And like I said, I think this is one of the most powerful questions in scripture. I also think that it's one of the most powerful questions that we can ask ourselves and that we can ask each other because it gets to the root of who we're choosing to listen to Because we can allow other people's words to dictate how we see ourselves and not even realize it. When we allow the opinions of others to dictate who we are, then their voices become louder than God's voice in our life. And so I want to ask you this morning, are there things that maybe someone told you as a child? Maybe someone told you as a teenager or as a young adult. Maybe there's something that somebody told you yesterday. Did somebody tell you at some point that you weren't good enough, that you weren't smart enough, that you'd never make the team, you'd never make the cut, you needed to be bigger and stronger and smarter and faster and score higher and perform better? Maybe they were words from a parent or a coach, a friend, a neighbor, a bully. Maybe they were words from a complete stranger. But something about those words something about what you're believing about yourself, it's still defining you today. And so I just wanna ask you as we get started and as we allow this question to resonate with us, when you think about how you see yourselves and some of those labels, who told you that? Because unless you can point back to scripture and define who you are based on that, then it's highly likely that what you are believing about yourself is a lie. And one of the reasons that it's so important to address this is because what we choose to believe will impact the choices that we make. We can see this play out in our own lives. We can see this play out in the garden with Adam and Eve. And then I believe we can see this play out on the pages of scripture time after time with some of the people in scripture that we consider biblical heroes because of the things that they did. And they're known for these great actions, these great kind of moments of faith. But if we peel back the curtain and we really look, I think we can see that they're a lot like us. And that so often they let other people's words define them and what set them apart is who they chose to listen to. I believe that that's the reason that they were able to step into what they did and that's the reason that we're still able to read and talk about their stories today. We can see this um, in the life of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet. He was given the message by God to call people back to God. And we actually have a recording of kind of this grand calling that God had on Jeremiah's life. And in Jeremiah 1, these are actually his own words, Jeremiah's words. He writes down, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Some translations say, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is a pretty grand calling that we see here. God told him, "Um, Jeremiah, before you were born, I chose you for this. I set you apart. I appointed you for this moment. But we can see what Jeremiah's response was in the very next verse. Jeremiah seems to be like, yeah, I hear you with this calling and the before I was born and the appointing me and all of that. But this is what he says, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Now we don't know what life was like for Jeremiah growing up. We don't know who was speaking into Jeremiah's life in this moment when he has this calling from the Lord. But I wonder if at some point he was always told that he was too young to do things. I wonder if at some point he tried to stand up and speak and he stumbled over his words and people laughed at him. Maybe they continued to bring that up. Maybe they continued to point out to him that he was too young and too inexperienced. I don't know who it was that was speaking into Jeremiah's life, but something about what he was believing about himself caused him to tell God, I don't, I don't know how to speak, and I'm too young. We can see how God responds back to Jeremiah in the next verse. He says, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. And in God's response, I feel like we can just hear the heart of who told you that you were too young, Jeremiah? Who are you listening to? And then before Jeremiah can respond back, God says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And in that phrase, do not be afraid of them, God is acknowledging that somebody else is speaking in to Jeremiah's life. And can't you just hear his heart? Who are you listening to? Who told you that you should be afraid? I am sending you. I am with you. It's your choice. Who are you going to listen to? If we read the rest of Jeremiah's story, we can see that he chose to listen to what God said. Instead of the voices around him, he stepped into what God called him to do. And he chose not to focus on the being too young, of the being afraid, and instead chose to focus on the fact that God had called him and sent him and was with him. We can see something similar play out in scripture with a man named Gideon. Gideon led the Israelites in a battle against the Midianites, and this was so important because the Midianites were a group of people that had been attacking their land and devastating their lives. And we could read the moment of Gideon's calling, and although it's different than Jeremiah's calling, I feel like it's equally as grand. In Judges 6, we read, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's a pretty awesome label to be addressed as a mighty warrior. But we can see by Gideon's immediate response that he got hung up on that very first phrase, the Lord is with you. I don't even know if Gideon heard that second part because he immediately said, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
And we can see how the Lord responded to Jeremiah. In the next verse, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And as we read how the Lord responded again, we can hear this undertone of our question, who told you that? Who told you that I'm not with you? Who told you that I've abandoned you and that I'm giving you into the hands of the Midianites? Who are you listening to, Gideon? Am I not the one who's sending you? And in Gideon's next response, we get a glimpse that he's been listening to somebody because he starts again by saying, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I, I am the least in my family. Now, like with Jeremiah, we don't know Gideon's backstory and how he grew up or what people told him, what people were currently telling him, but this statement makes it obvious that he's been told probably over and over again that his clan is the weakest and that he is the least among the weakest. That's the label that he wore and it came from somewhere, it came from somebody. And then God says, it says the Lord answered, I will be with you. And again, I can almost hear in God's response, Gideon, who told you that you were the weakest? Who told you that you were the least? I am gonna be with you and with me you are a mighty warrior. So it's your choice, Gideon. Who are you going to choose to listen to? And if we read the rest of Gideon's story, we can see like Jeremiah, Gideon chose to listen to what God said instead of the voices around him. And he goes forward knowing that the Lord is with him, even if he is the youngest or the least among the weakest. He leads the Israelites to victory. We could continue looking on at story after story in scripture between Moses and Elijah and Nehemiah and David. We can see over and over again that who they chose to listen to determined how they saw themselves, which determined what they did, and then more importantly, how they saw God. And so if we go back to the garden where this question originated, we can see that God asked Adam and Eve, who told you that? to help them get to the root of who they were choosing to listen to, which would ultimately get to the root of how they saw God and what they believed to be true about him. And so we saw earlier that Eve was quick to respond as she pointed back to the snake. We'll read that verse again in Genesis 3.13. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. This was getting to the root. She pointed back to exactly where it all started and who it all started with this snake and his lies. And we can read back a few verses and we can see this conversation and how this took place between Eve and the snake and what she's referring to as she answered this question, who told you that? We can read in Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So from this snake's question, we can see what he was trying to do. Right out of the gate, he was trying to make Eve doubt what God had said. Because God didn't say that they couldn't eat from any tree, like he was saying. God just said they couldn't eat from one tree. 
And so we do see that Eve corrects him on this when she says, um, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And this response, the fact that Eve kind of called him out on that first lie, it didn't stop this snake. He just continued on and caused her to question and to doubt what God had said. And so he goes on and he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And we can see right here again where it all started as he began to whisper to her, you won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. Doubt what God said. Do what you want. You know better than him anyways. And so God had said one thing to Eve, and the snake had said another. And in this moment, Eve had to decide who she was going to listen to. And we can see in the next verse who she chose. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So after Eve hears what the snake has to say, she's like, you know what, this does look pretty good. I bet God's just holding out on me. I bet I didn't really need to listen. I bet this snake is right. And so she eats it, and then she gives some to Adam. And from the very beginning, the snake was manipulating the truth and causing her to doubt and to question what God had said and ultimately who God was. That's why this question, who told you that, becomes so important because it allows Eve to point back to where the breakdown happened, where she first doubted God. And in answering the question, who told you that, she was able to identify who she had been listening to, an enemy who made her believe that she knew better than God who made her believe that she couldn't trust what God had said. And this snake did a really good job at causing Adam and Eve to doubt what God has said because they went from seeing him as provider and creator to seeing him as somebody who was holding out on them, who didn't have their best interest at mind. The snake made them think that they knew better than God and that they could disregard God's commands. And isn't it true that when we think we know better than God, that we wanna pick up some control, and we wanna take matters into our own hands. And when we do that, we push aside God's truth, we make our own truth, and then we do what we want. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve did. They listened to the snake, and they doubted God, and they ate the fruit. They took matters into their own hands. They chose to listen to what the snake had told them. And it didn't stop there because they continued after they ate to take matters into their own hands as they tried to cover up what they had done. If we read um, verse seven, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they ate the fruit and their eyes were opened. They became ashamed and they felt the need to make coverings for themselves. Their shame made them want to cover. Shame has a way of doing that. So they tried to mask the mess 
and made a covering, and then they hoped that that was enough. But if this had been enough, if these coverings had worked, then why is it after they make the coverings that we see them hiding from God? Because they make the coverings in verse seven, and then in verse eight we read, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid from God after they made their coverings. If their coverings had worked, then why would they need to hide from God? Couldn't they just walk confidently in the garden, confidently up to God? And yet here they are wearing their coverings, hiding from God, afraid and ashamed because of who they chose to listen to and because their coverings that they had made for themselves weren't enough. And so we're back to where we started, where we picked up in this story, Adam and Eve hiding in their own coverings and God asking them questions to help them get to the root of what was going on in their hearts. And as we read next, we see that this is the, the part in the story where God has to introduce the consequences that come with disobedience. He had explained to them that there was consequences. He had already told them that there would be. He told them what not to do, and they chose to do what they wanted. They chose to ignore the warning, and so now there was natural consequences to that disobedience. I had a friend tell me a few weeks ago as she was navigating something hard with her kids and she was having to talk them through the consequences. She told her kids, there's always loss when we make wrong decisions. And I think that's what we see play out in the garden. There's loss for them. But I love the other part that my friend told her kids. She said, the loss, it doesn't have to define you. And I think that we see that play out in the garden as well. Because what happened next, this is where we start to get to the root of it all. Because when God asked the question, who told you that? He wasn't surprised at their answer. He already knew. He wasn't shocked at their disobedience. He wasn't shocked that they messed up and that shame was the covering that they wore. He already knew who they were listening to. And he also wasn't shocked that their coverings weren't enough. He knew they weren't enough. He knew they couldn't fix it. They needed someone to fix it for them. They needed someone willing to sacrifice in order to make a proper covering. Otherwise, they were gonna forever be trying to hide and mask and cover up. And that's why getting to the root of things is so important. And these questions, where are you and who told you that? That's why they're so important. But just answering the questions isn't enough because the point of both of the questions that God asked in the garden is so that Adam and Eve would see their need for him because at the root of it all is grace. And what God does next gives us a picture of his plan for humanity all along. The hiding and the shame and the trying to cover up and the questions, all of it had led to this moment of grace. And this next verse, as I have heard it growing up and I've read it plenty of times, and not one time did it ever kind of bring emotion in me as I read this verse until I was preparing for this message. And as I got to this passage, I could hardly read it through the tears in my eyes because of what it meant in this context. 
I'll read to you Genesis 3:21. It says, "The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them." God made new coverings for Adam and Eve. And this might seem like a small gesture in the grand scheme of this broken story and what had happened and the consequences that they were going to sit in. But God did for them what they tried to do for themselves. When their eyes were open to their mistakes, when they sat in shame, they made their own coverings, but it didn't work. And they were still hiding from God, and so God did what they couldn't do. And these weren't just any coverings. God wasn't just gonna remake the same ones that they had already made out of fig leaves. These coverings required sacrifice. These coverings were gonna be made out of animal skin. And so God sacrificed something that he had just created, something that he had looked at, and we can read in scripture that he said that it was good. And he took something that he said it was good, and he sacrificed them to cover Adam and Eve. And at some point, Adam and Eve had to make a choice. At some point, they had to choose to come out of hiding and to lay aside their own coverings, to take off the fig leaf coverings that they had made on their own that represented their shame and their mistakes. And they had to choose to put on his coverings instead, coverings that would allow them to come out of hiding, coverings that came out of sacrifice. And what God did in the garden, this sacrifice, these coverings, He was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that he would make by sending Jesus to pay the price for our coverings, for my covering, for yours. Because we can't just ignore the mess and the brokenness and the shame, and neither can God. A sacrifice is needed. A covering is needed, and that's what God provided. And we can choose Like Adam and Eve, we get to choose to let shame and mess define us and be our covering, or we can allow his sacrifice to define us and let that be our covering. We can accept who we are without it. We can listen to the words of other people. We can define who we are based on their words, or we can accept that we need his covering and acknowledge the price paid to provide it. And the reason that the question, who told you that, is so powerful is because what was at stake for Adam and Eve and what's at stake for us, it gets to the root of how we see God. Do you believe that God is disappointed in you because you aren't living better and doing better, that you have to meet his standards before he will love you? Who told you that? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that your sin and your mess keeps you forever separated from God? Do you believe that he's turned his back on you in the middle of your struggle? Who told you that? Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness 
I feel like that was just a specific reference to Adam and Eve. Or danger or sword, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe that you have been good enough to check all the boxes? Do you believe you've done all the things and that somehow you've been able to earn grace? Who told you that? Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you believe that the weight of your guilt and the weight of your shame needs to be what defines you? That you're left without hope? Who told you that? Romans 5 says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you believe that God looks at you with a list of expectations that you need to meet? Do you believe that God is waiting for you to pull it all together before you can come to him? Who told you that? Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God knew that you weren't enough. And he didn't walk away and shame you. He doesn't leave you in hiding. Instead, he paid the price to make you enough. He sent Jesus to make you enough. And has somebody at some point told you differently? Can I ask you this morning, who told you that? And who are you gonna choose to listen to? And as you allow that question to just kind of simmer in your mind, I wanna read these words of truth over you out of Romans 3. I'm gonna read them out of the New Living Translation. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And I love these next two words. Yet God, yet God, in his grace, really makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. 
So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. These verses, they get to the root of it all, which is grace. Grace means that it was his sacrifice that provided the covering. Grace means that we can't be good enough to earn it or bad enough to lose it. Grace means that it was his sacrifice that made us clean. And when we put our trust in his covering, when we recognize we can't cover it on our own, that we need him, then we are made clean. That's what his covering does. That's what grace does. It makes us clean from our pride. It makes us clean from our past, clean from our regret and our shame, clean from our missteps and our mess ups, clean from our ugly hearts, clean. And if you believe that you can make your own covering, you'll be okay. And if you believe that you need to stay in hiding, that your guilt and your shame need to define you and keep you hiding from God. Who told you that? And who will you choose to listen to? Because scripture tells us, Christianity teaches us that because of Jesus, when we choose to admit that we need his covering, we are made clean. And as we allow that truth to settle on our hearts, would you think about maybe words that have been spoken to you, words that still define you today, and would you allow that question to speak over you, and would you ask yourself, who told me that? Where am I finding my identity? And would you rest in the fact that you have a God who loved you enough to pay the price for your covering so that you could come out of hiding so that you can stand confidently before him, not because you have it all figured out and not because of anything you've done on your own, but because he made a sacrifice so that you could pick up his covering and allow that to define you, allow that to be what makes your heart clean. And so as we allow those words to just rest in our hearts. We're gonna sit for just a couple of minutes. The band's gonna sing a song. It's actually called Clean. And I feel like the words of this song just allow the truth to resonate in our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you say we are. Thank you that you meet us in our hiding and whatever covering we've made for ourselves whatever covering we've picked up from other people, whatever covering we feel like we've needed to make and label ourselves with, you meet us in that place and you help us get to the root of what's in our heart and get to the root of the hiding and get to the root of who we're choosing to listen to. Thank you that we don't have to stay hidden, that we don't have to stay covered in coverings that don't work, that we've made with our own hands. Thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus as a sacrifice, to be the ultimate covering that allows us to stand, to come out of hiding, that covering that made our hearts clean when we choose to accept that we need you, 
We can't do it on our own. And God, as we sit in this moment, would you help us ask that question and get to the root of who we're listening to and rest in the fact because of Jesus, we have been made clean. And it's in your name that I pray. Today, in that truth, that when you step out of hiding, when you choose to accept the covering, 
not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is and because of what he does. Then because of Jesus, our hearts are clean. Would you go today letting the truth of scripture define who you are and how you see God? And then when that thought starts to rise up that tells you differently, would you ask the question, who told me that? And would you, you rest in the fact of who God says that you are and that he loved you enough to pay the price for your covering. We're so grateful that you spent this time with us today. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday.